Good morning, church. When the rector greets us, the church, with these words just prior to our service, it's a welcome to us into a spiritual time and place of worship. I'd like to use this greeting this morning for the homily with a slightly different perspective as a way into an historical time and within this place of worship. We are now just three weeks past the 100th anniversary of the laying of this church cornerstone on June 28, 1914. And I think you'll agree that this is quite a beautiful building. We are the beneficiaries of those parishioners who came before us who gave so much of their gifts toward making this building possible. Some of those people you may have known and some of, some of them you may have heard of. For example, do the names Benedict and Storer sound familiar? You would not have known them, but they were wardens at the time when this church was built and their names are inscribed on tablets along the walls of this building. Or how about the Clark brothers, Frederick, Henry, and Charles? They made two contributions toward the building of this church in the name of their mother, Elizabeth Stebbins Waterbury Clark, a longtime parishioner of the church. The first contribution was to pay for the annual dues for the second pew here on the... Is that your right? Your left? Your right? Uh, and the second was to contribute toward the cost of this pulpit. Members of this parish contributed not only to the building of the church, but to the furnishing of it as well. That cost, a little, a little bit more than $48,000 at the time, or about $1.1 million in today's dollars, was raised through donations and gifts. Gifts at the time included the marble floor and steps below the altar, the marble altar itself and the installation, the bishop's chair, the choir loft and robing room, and funds for the installation of the organ. In later years, parishioners contributed indoor and outdoor lighting, the rector's chair, the baptistry, carillon bells, kneeling hassocks in the pews, and cushions at the altar rails, Christmas candle holders, and many other large and small items. You probably wouldn't know about these contributions because sometimes memorial inscriptions are in remote places, like at the bottom of this pulpit, or on the rector's chair, or the bishop's chair behind the altar, and because oftentimes many gifts were either made as memorials to others or freely made without any expectation of being named in return. This building itself contains about 25 tablets or plaques or inscriptions listing the names of contributors or memorial names of some current but mostly previous parishioners. Perhaps the greatest contribution to the church from any one single individual comes from Mary Alice Russell. As the wife of Frederick Elliot Lewis, she is known to us as Mrs. F.E. Lewis and is the patron of what may be the largest piece of art in this church, a memorial to Clara Bacon. More on that in a moment, but first I want to acknowledge Mary's other gifts to this parish community. Mary Alice Russell was born in 1862 in Middletown, Connecticut, the second of three children to the heirs of the Russell fortune. His name is long gone, but Mr. Russell made a fortune in the China trade in the middle of the 19th century. In 1887, Mary married Frederick Elliott Lewis, whose grandfather founded City National Bank. Its name is no longer here, but you know it today as Citibank. Mr. Lewis inherited not only a good deal of money from his family, but he made a fairly good fortune as a businessman in his own right. 
I only touch on these finances to underscore how it was possible for the Lewises to purchase the old H.B. Anderson property here in town in 1907 and turn it into perhaps the grandest of the estates called Up Against It. It covered 100 acres north of West Lane where Manor, Lewis, Manor Lane and Lewis Drive are the only reminders of their estate now long gone. Like many other wealthy New Yorkers with second homes in Ridgefield in the early 20th century, the Lewises contributed to their summer community, but, like, un, but unlike most others, Mrs. F. E. Lewis gave not only of her finances, but of her time. She made many contributions to the town, but is perhaps best remembered in Ridgefield as the first president of the local chapter of the American Red Cross, begun at the outbreak of World War I. She held that post through the end of World War II when she was in her 80s. She made many other contributions to the people of Ridgefield, too numerous to mention here. Within the parish, she was an original member of the vestry-appointed building committee, but served only for a few months before abruptly resigning. There are no direct records of why she resigned, but not long after the original design for this church, a Gothic-style church, was accepted, the vestry did a complete about-face, changed their minds, and approved this simple Georgian-style design by Keir Rainsford. Whether or not Mrs. Lewis was miffed at this decision, we can't say for sure. But what we do know is that when the parish decided that a new rectory was also needed, it was approved and completed in 1916, the Lewises committed to a large portion of the full cost. With the stipulation, however, that Keir Rainsford's design matching the church, a stone rectory, was to be denied. The vestry and the new rector at the time, William Lusk, after some deliberation, I can't say how short, quickly decided to accept the Lewis's offer, and the clappered colonial-style rectory we have today is due to the Lewis's generosity and design preference. In 1916, that rectory cost about $25,000. The Lewis's contributed a little over $19,000 for its building, as well as purchasing a number of items inside the rectory, such as a large mirror, various rugs, all the lace curtains, and an icebox. In today's dollars, the Lewis's contribution of $430,000 was about 75% of the total cost of the rectory. But that was not the last of the Lewis contributions. After the church was completed in 1916, it came to light that the church finances were not as tightly controlled as they could have been, and there was a discrepancy between actual cash on hand and what was listed in the books. On the spot, the Lewis's donated about $2,000 to make up the difference a sum today of about 45000 The church we are in today is pretty much the same church that was completed in April 1915 and consecrated a few weeks later on May 30th, with a few exceptions. At the time, there was a side altar over here, and as you're probably aware, organ pipes were added. Most importantly, I think, missing at the time of the first service, as well as at the consecration, was the largest and sole piece of art in this building the stained glass window. The earliest photos of the church show simple plain glass. You can see a copy of the photo in North Hall at the bottom of the stairs where we have pictures of the rector is a 1915 drawing of just plain glass. I think you'll agree that this is a pretty nice piece of work. The title is Christ Blessing the Children. It was created by Frederick Steinmetz Lamb of the renowned J&R Lamb Studios, then of Greenwich Village, New York, but now based in northern New Jersey. 
JNR Lamb Studios began operations in 1857 and is the oldest continuously operated stained glass facility within the U.S., preceding the more famous John uh, Louis Comfort Tiffany and John Lafarge. It appears that the window decoration was not included in the original design of the building. The architect, Keir Rainsford, designed almost all of the interior features or had approval over them, but there is no record of what design would appear in the chancel window or when it would be included. Enter Mrs. F.E. Lewis. It's not clear whether or not she had a hand in the design, but records from the J&R Lamb studio clearly show that it was her gift that made the window possible. There's no information on how much the window actually cost, but records show that it was she who paid for it in three equal installments in the spring and summer of 1916. In speaking with the Lamb Studio, I'm told that it was customary at the time, as it usually is now, to make three payments. One on the order, two when the order is, uh, design is completed, and third on installation. And that's what happened. In May 11, 1916, the first payment was made. A second payment was made when the glass design was completed on June 14th. And the final third, upon or shortly after installation, on July 26th. We are therefore about two weeks shy of the 98th anniversary of the window installation. According to the Lamb Studio records, the original memorial inscription was to Clara Russell Bacon, with an inscription for date of birth, June 1840, and the date of death left blank. Well, who was Clara Russell Bacon? She was the mother of Mary Alice Russell, or as we know her, Mrs. Frederick E. Lewis. Clara Alsop Casey was born in Middletown, married Samuel Wadsworth Russell, and within seven years they had three children. Mary Alice was the middle child, born in 1862. Unfortunately, the Russell men have a history of dying young, and Samuel Wadsworth was no exception. He died at age 31, leaving a widow with three children, 12 and under. Clara then went on to marry Charles Graham Bacon, a New York financier, and from the age of 10, Mary Alice grew up in Tarrytown as the daughter of C. Graham and Clara Russell Bacon. So it is no surprise that the original inscription should be to her mother, and that not having really known her biological father, she left his name off the memorial. At some point, however, the memorial was changed to honor both her father and mother. We may never know some of the details about how this change came about, but I hope I've been able to shed some light on this wonderful piece of art that is the centerpiece of our time and worship together, and how the names of two people who really had nothing to do with this parish are so prominently displayed. Mrs. Fre Mr. Frederick Lewis died in 1919, and Mrs. F.E. Lewis continued to live in the estate for another 15 years. By the time of the Depression, it was too much for her to care for, and she sold it in 1934 to bridge expert Eli Culbertson. The property changed hands several more times, and by the mid-1950s, it was torn down. Mary Alice Russell and Frederick E. Lewis had three boys, two of whom died young, the first at age 11 and the second at age 43. After the end of the Second World War, she resigned her post as chairman of the American Red Cross here in Ridgefield, and she moved to Norfolk, Connecticut to be with her only remaining child. She died there in February of 1950 and is buried in the Lewis family plot in Sleepy Hollow, New York. Later in the service, we will all join in singing the doxology in celebration of the many gifts we receive from and return to this, our church family. 
And Mother Whitney will lead us in a blessing. And at this point in the service, I usually follow Mother Whitney's upraised arms and I gaze a little higher at the beautiful window that graces this church. And where I used to wonder about who Clara Alsop and Samuel Wadsworth Russell were, I am now reminded of and thankful for the gift of Mary Alice Russell Lewis and of all those, named and unnamed, who have given and continue to give of their own gifts to make this church our church home. Let me conclude this homily with a reading from scripture and a prayer. Our first is a reading from Ecclesiasticus, and I should remind you, as these are ancient texts, the word man is used to refer to all of us, and in light of Janet's goodbye and the good works of Mary Alice Russell, I would ask you to institute the word women as well as men. And here it is from Ecclesiasticus. Let us now sing the praises of famous men, our ancestors in their generations. The Lord apportioned to them great glory, his majesty from the beginning. There were those who ruled in their kingdoms and made a name for themselves by their valor, those who gave counsel because they were intelligent, those who spoke in prophetic oracles, those who led the people by their counsels and by their knowledge of the people's lore. They were wise in their words of instruction. Those who composed, who composed musical tunes or put verses in writing. Rich men endowed with resources, living peacefully in their homes. All these were honored in their generations and were the pride of their times. Some of them have left behind a name so that others may declare their praise. But of others, there is no memory. They have perished as though they had ever existed. They have become as though they had never been born, they and their children after them. But these also were godly men whose righteous deeds have not been forgotten. And finally, a prayer. Almighty God, whose loving hand hath given us all that we possess, grant us grace that we may honor thee with our substance, and, remembering the account which we must one day give, may be faithful stewards of thy bounty, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.